Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Transformed Sales Podcast. Today, I have Sinjin Craner with me all the way from New Zealand. How are you? Hi, Wesleyan. Uh, very well, thank you. Your afternoon, my morning, my breakfast time. Yes, 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 yes. I just love interviewing people on different parts of the world so we can, you know, chat about our similarities and our differences. So uh, let me tell you about Sinjin. He teaches and trains rural sales managers and their sales teams how to make more qualified sales and generate leads using the principles of human psychology. I mean, this just like hits every single thing that is so (laughs) amazing to me. The rural uh, salespeople, psychology, all good things. So how did you get started and how did you end up focusing on the specific niche? Yeah, I um, I was very fortunate. I was brought up on a farm in rural England. I've been down here in New Zealand now for a long time because it's very, still very rural, very pastoral, very agricultural. So it reminds me of home and have family here now. And uh, yeah, I've kind of come full loop, really. I've done the corporate gigs. I've done the ad agencies. You know, I've worked for McCann Erickson, Young and Rubicon, done the big gigs, marketing manager roles. And everyone said, Arsene, you know, you, you know, you're good at marketing, but we think you're really good at business development or, you know, like titles that don't involve the word sales so really you know people thought I was better at sales and then very late on in life Wesley and I got interested in psychology and I've always kind of been very curious about why people do what they do from a very young age and um, I really was very lucky I combined really uh, my love of rural and where I came from with psychology and with sales so I put those three kind of unique rare skills together and niche down heavy on that and uh, served me really well. Okay so now we're going to tear all of those apart. psychology sales and the rural area so when we think about i'm gonna start with the rural part right because that is something that comes from i'm guessing your upbringing your childhood tell us Mm. about that influence on the work that you do today sure so i think uh excuse my boss for all your listeners but you know rural and agricultural people are as honest as the day is long. I mean, you know, it's not that we have an affliction against townies and urbanites, but, you know, we talked around, you know, COVID was a big thing, right, in terms of food security and food and fiber growers and everything else. And we love our farmers because they got us through it. And having come off farm, I kind of, you know, always gravitated that tribe. And they're very staunch, stoic folk, and they are highly resistant to sales and salespeople. Mm. So the reason for that, let's get straight into the psych of it, because I think your listeners may be interested in that as you are, is that farmers and growers and ranchers score very highly on agency and autonomy. They are autonomous by nature, because if they didn't want to work for themselves, they'd go and work in office, they'd go and work in a town, but they work for themselves. That's a very conscious choice. And then the first thing is, if you're selling to a farming market on your agribusiness vertical or agritech or whatever you're into, um, they are highly resistant because they've got this thing called reactance theory, which we all have. And I've often talked about it on podcasts around during COVID, our respective governments said, do not panic buy. And then what's the first thing we all did with them? Mm, went crazy. Everybody we went, went crazy. crazy. We went panic buying because we don't like to be told what to do. So we don't like to be controlled in the sale. And you can absolutely kind of 10x this for a farmer because... You know, they're incredibly asset rich, probably cash poor, got huge liquidity in their business, will probably buy you and I 10 times over, even though they don't present themselves as such. They might be driving, you know, the worst truck and, you know, overalls and a torn shirt. But underneath it, you know, they've got a lot of assets and a lot of access to liquidity and finance. So they are very, very highly marketed to, highly advertised audience. So I wanted to kind of like get back to my tribe, 
teach people, I could see rural sales managers and the rural sales teams really struggling to sell to farmers. And they didn't understand this reactance theory, which is very basic, that we react when someone's trying to control. And obviously, you know this better than anyone, is when you try to control the sale, you won't make the sale. Because, you know, the problem with sales is selling. So you gave me a period there, but I feel like that's a comma. Okay, so <laughs> knowing that, and so you, you talk about this in the rural arena, right? Like, mm. I don't want to be sold to. I want to be independent. I don't want anybody doing that, pushing that down my throat. And then you tie that back to psychology. However, I feel like I know very few people who like to be sold to or mm. who aren't like, I want to do whatever I want to do. So tell us when you're dealing with this population that is different because although that they have that, I would say, aversion for sales, they also mm. have that autonomous, I don't need anyone else, I can live off my land. So how do you go about breaking down those barriers for you know your specific demographic or anybody who is very resistant to sales and the selling process? Great question. So the first thing we have to do, and this is applicable to all verticals, so Obviously, I'm talking about farming and the niche that I love and I specialize in. You need to signal buyer safety. So, you know, Google did that massive experiment around psychological safety. If someone doesn't feel safe in a sales situation and you don't make your buyer feel safe, they are not going to buy from you. Again, this is very, very heightened for a farming audience because they are naturally cynical and skeptical of anyone trying to sell them. Instead, we need to be adopting a buyer mindset. We need to understand the buyer's brain and how the buyer's brain buys, specifically to your sector. So for a farmer, there is so much they can't control. Disease, trade wars, currency, climatic events, environmental change, competing land class, all these things. So they are very, very focused on what they can control. And again, back to that thing of if you're trying to control that sell for them, they're really going to back off big, big, big time. And you're not going to get that deep and again applicable for any any market you know that sales are made in the conversation if that person doesn't feel safe in that conversation they're not going to be vulnerable they're not going to open up they're not going to tell you about your biggest pain problems particularly if they're a six foot five massive rugby playing australian or kiwi farmer on a sheep and beef farm or property they're not going to tell you about their problems because that challenges their sense of self and so as sellers professional sellers we have to recognize that so we have to put them at ease and we have to do that by asking really, really good questions that serve their needs rather than ours. And that is a period, not a comma. Ah, I love it. I love it. I love it. And so I want to tap down on something that mm. you mentioned, control. Because mm. salespeople, entrepreneurs, leaders, they have this element. We have this element of control where we have to have our pulse on every little thing we touch. <laughs> like if we aren't in control, then we have a problem. How do you, like, how do you go about, like, relinquishing that control? What are the steps that people can take in sales, in life, to really relinquish that control? Is that in a sales management domain or a sort of sales rep domain? Which one is it? Let's go on both. Good. Let's jam on both. Okay, so instead of control, I think you know this as well, and I'll be I'll singing the tune that you'll love as well, is we want to be coaching. We don't want to be controlling. So sometimes we don't have the answer, but we need to facilitate because sometimes the question is the answer. So we've got to be very curious rather than this command control center. And we need to be vulnerable and we need to be open because, you know, you don't need to be Marshall Goldsmith to work out what got you here doesn't get you there. So often we promote people, as you know, because I've listened to some of your wonderful podcasts with Andy and others, where you're talking about where people are promoted out of something that they're really, really good at. And then they're suddenly in this like sales management role 
and they go, oh yeah, I just got to use all the same skills that I was when I was a frontline top performer, and they fail. They epically fail because they don't have those new skill sets. You know, they haven't been able to articulate or record in a tangible way the process that they use to pump the pipeline. So yeah, I wouldn't talk around control as such because every human being has an aversion to being controlled. I certainly know I do. I certainly know my children do as well. And, uh, you know, trying to get them to clean their rooms bad enough. So when you're managing a sales team, that responsibility, that privilege, you can't control them. You have to be curious and you have to coach them and you have to facilitate them. And that means showing yourself, being vulnerable, uh, understanding that you don't have all the answers. But the problem is, because I was thinking about this this morning before we were coming on, is the reason I think a lot of sales managers don't show this vulnerability is they're supposed to have all the answers. And the thing is, when particularly as a male, particularly as a male, I'm going to be gender specific, and particularly in agriculture, we're supposed to know everything, kind of the man box, right? And if we're vulnerable, we are exposing ourselves to being perceived as weak, which basically affects the three main motivations, which are highly dominant in males, which is status or status, significance and social standing. So when we go, oh, well, I don't know, I don't have the answer for that, it exposes. And this is rife from rep to manage it, particularly in a male domain, you know, most males don't even ask for directions, you know, so like, or read instructions, because we're supposed to know what to do. So, you know, that's a serious barrier to their learning, and then their ability to lead and coach their teams. Mm, well, mm. you know, you, you spoke for the men, I didn't have to, you know, say, well, this is what men typically do. <laughs> so, so it came from you. So I won't get any hate mail about that. Um, but you're right. And the thing is, what I see from my standpoint is, unfortunately, this doesn't really, um, it crosses gender lines. Whether you're a man or a woman, and when you first move into sales leadership, you, you want to control everything, right? And no. then as a salesperson, the thing is, your control is what helped you become good. Like you controlling what you did every single day, you controlling the destiny of your customers, the products that they... God, who called on them? That made you good. Then you move into leadership and you take that same element of control and you try to control the people on your team. However, it does not work because you can't control other humans, right? Controlling a sale is different than controlling humans. That's right. And I mean, again, you know, the whole Eugene Swartz thing is like, you can't educate a customer. Education a customer from marketing is really, really expensive. You need to align to their motives, to their desires. Find out what motivates them most. Sometimes that's intrinsic. You know, we talk about Daniel Pink and his book, uh, Drive, you know, Surprising Truth of What Motivates People. You know, mastery, autonomy, purpose. Some of the things we've already spoken about are really, really important. Just quickly back before my sleepy little breakfast brain here in New Zealand fails me, when we're talking about the gender difference in sales, there's two distinct patterns I see. Generally, men are very good at the technical and this is a huge generalization, mind you. So, you know, I don't want people to get jumped up and excited. But certainly in rural, I see men generally very good at the technical, deficient at the emotional in terms of a sales situation. Um, ditto, you can apply this for a sales management role as well. Again, huge generalizations, big caveat here. And you can challenge me and poke a stick at this one if you want, Wes. I'm really happy to unpack it. But then women are generally very, very high on the emotional and the emotional quotient, the emotional intelligence, less so on the technical. The solution for both is mastering the soft and the hard. So the hard being the technical and the soft being the sales. And obviously we know soft is the new hard. Soft skills are the ones that get you further because everyone can get to a technical parity, 
but then that emotional depth and richness of leading and coaching and persuading and negotiating and influencing your team or your customers is that's where the gold is. Mm, that's so good. I I would agree. I would actually agree because women tend to score higher or do better in the emotional intelligence, right? And it's not saying that they're not technically savvy. It's just that they tend to have higher emotional intelligence. And men tend to be really good technically because, and you know, this actually goes all the way back to childhood. And I actually, I went to observe my son in school the other day and the teacher had them going up to the board doing different things. And so there was a girl and she walked up to the board and she didn't do it right. And the teacher was like, oh no, you did half of it right, but here's the other part. And as she was walking back to her desk, she passed by me and she said, I'm a failure. I was like, oh my God. Mm. I was Mm. like, and she's eight, right? Mm. She's like, I'm a failure. Mm. So she Mm. internalized what that teacher said inside right Mm. and so as little girls we learn that like okay what somebody says affects me if somebody doesn't approve of me that affects me so that's where we develop that eq so early whereas my son he got something wrong and the teacher redirected him and then after he got it right he was like okay good job i did good like he he can he can (laughs) he took that in in itself right because it's like i got something wrong It was redirected, corrected, and now I can move forward. And so that's where that technical savvy comes from. It's like different ways, like, and literally I see this in eight-year-olds and the same thing happens at salespeople and sales leaders. Like these things, the ways that our brain work, this is really how we operate. And one of the things that is so important is when you bring new salespeople on, you have to understand which side you have to develop. Do I need to develop them emotionally? Do I need to develop them technically? And I usually call it, are we developing their sales skills? Are we developing their technical skills? Which track are they going on? Yeah, 100%. And there's a couple more things there for listeners as well. It's around something I was taught very early in life. Your strength can be your weakness. Yeah. Your strength can be your weakness. So what happens is if you're like a supercharger, high percentile sales performer, that strength can be your weakness because you're a charger. As you say, you're controlling absolutely everything. And then you get into a leadership position where you are in control of people where you actually can't control them. You can only facilitate them and negotiate and influence and mold and meld where possible. So it's really important to understand that sometimes your strengths can be your weaknesses. And uh, the other thing is, you know, what happens is we often, you've seen this pattern too, and many of your listeners who have that responsibility to managing teams, we're putting people who are highly technical into emotional roles. Now, in my world, we call it hunters and farmers. So what happens is we see service people as that default accidental salesperson moving into a sales role, which is highly emotional because you've got to get a sense of self, right, and how you come across and how you perceive and that whole psychology of self which is what we focus on massively before you go anywhere is you've got to get yourself set because i think sales success starts with yourself is you've got to really really focus on the emotional side of it so if you're a service-based orientated person you're going to be very technically strong if you're a salesperson you're going to be very emotional the two, blending the two is where you get that superpower and i think you know psychology in terms of that soft skill is really where you can get that competitive advantage because you can understand who you are how you come across how the buyer buys from you, and you've got a distinct competitive advantage when you understand that process. Mm, So often, so in the world that I come from, this technical sales, right? So um, chemical sales, petrochemical, whatever we want to call that world, Mm. there's always the salesperson and the technical expert. 
And the salesperson, a lot of times, is that person that's building the relationship, you know, doing all the stuff. And then you have that technical expert who comes behind and I say, they really close the sale because they have what you need to actually sell the product. And the misnomer is those things can be interchangeable and that you can take somebody who is a strong salesperson and make them a technical person and vice versa, right? So what you have to do as a manager, like you said, it's like, Where's that magic in the middle, right? Like we all want sales superstars, but how do we get that magical middle of that balance of the two people? Yeah, again, great question because I see this time and time again. I'm not sure if you agree, my friend, but like when I get the privilege of being invited to conferences or seminars or sales training days, I look at the agenda. I arrive early. I try and be a good boy, arrive early, be a nice bro, prepared, look at the agenda. And I go, where's the sales training in here? Where's the psychology in here? All it is is dominated by product training. And I, I normally arrive at about lunchtime, which is like the graveyard shift before lunch or towards the end of the afternoon, and they have been barreled with technical information. And they're, they're half dead. And then we have to talk to them around psychology and light them up again and get them energized again and get them fascinated and curious about the human brain and how it buys and the process it goes through and loss aversion and Socratic selling and cognitive dissonance, all these kind of basic psychological principles. But what it is, is, you know, we just spend, we don't spend enough time on the soft stuff. We dominate on the hard stuff. And you're absolutely right. You've got to blend the two to get that superpower. So the soft is the hard and the hard is the soft. And that ability to read the room and the buyer committee and the choreography and the cartography of what's going on with the conversation. You know, reading a room, a technical person generally, their strength is their weakness. They do not read a room. They cannot pick up on the vibe. Mm-hmm what's unsaid, the body language, the micro expressions, all those things. This is where you miss out. And we know sales is one at the margin. It is. Whenever I'm invited to those, oh, we're having a a whole week event and we're going to do all this product training and we want you to come in and do this sales (laughs) training. I'm like, I will do my training before you do yours. Because your training is a bunch of product knowledge and they're going to be dead and they're not going to absorb anything. And actually, let's give them these soft skills. Let's teach them how to sell and talk to people. So when you're teaching them the new products, they can apply it. And when people are like, oh, that makes so much sense. But literally, they want to squeeze you in at the end of the last day after they've done all that. I'm like, you're wasting your money. Like, do you want to see a return on your investment? 100%, 100%, a bit like, and I'm sure the same because I know you're very, very good at what you do. And, they, and you come along, they go, oh, you've got 45 minutes. And you go, <laughs> dude, this ain't going to work. Uh, you know, minimum, we're doing half day. Because what's happening is we're creating short-term memory structure, a one-and-done McDonald's drive through of sales training, which absolutely fails everyone, right? So we want to see our sales team succeed. Anyone we're working with right whistling, we want them to succeed. So you have to take the time and you have to carve the time. You have to make a priority in sales and get that ratio right. And I feel that, you know, we do sales a real disservice because I think we've got this natural allergy and cynicism and skeptic to say, oh, you know, we can't talk about sales. We'll talk about product. The thing is, products don't reject you. People do, right? So this is why we have to understand psychology because psychology is all about people and human behavior and the laws of human nature so if we spent more time doing that and kind of you know got things balanced out a bit more i think we'd all benefit greatly we would and i say i go deep i don't go wide 
Like if Perfect. you you, you want 45 minutes, you want an hour, let's take one topic and go really, really deep because it's yeah. more important for your salespeople to understand this one thing very well and to be able to implement this one thing than to give them an overview of everything. And in three weeks, they've forgotten your whole yeah. investment, that everything that you've invested in them. That's such good advice. And the metaphor I use is it's like a tennis ball machine, right? I'm sitting at the court and Wesley and I, I've got the predators of you training me and you fire eight tennis balls at me. I can only grab one. I can only hit one. So you're absolutely right. You know, it's a sniper versus shotgun approach, right? So um, for me, yeah, absolutely. We've got to be more effective. And I picked this up on your podcast and I think it's a very important point that maybe I was reminded of is that, you know, it's very important that we are using recall and retrieval and the whole Ebbinghouse curve, the forgetting curve and that degradation and decay of learning is we've got to be really good at building effective, sustainable, long-term memory structure. And you can only do that with recall and retrieval and you can only do that when your sales manager and your sales coaches are aligned to that program. Yes. I talk about my kids a lot because they, they teach me a lot. They've taught me a lot. Um, and so my youngest son, he's actually dyslexic. And so what I've learned about a lot of what I do and the way that I teach and train and coach comes from what I've learned from him, right? Mm, and so mm. the way the dyslexic brain works is it has to be multi-sensory. He needs to hear it, touch it, feel it, see it, right? So when I'm training, when I'm teaching, I'm using all the things. I'm talking, I give you words. Like, I'm like, I'm not a reader. I need to read a lot of words on slides, but some people need to, to have that, right? And he needs the reinforcement. So every day we do a little bit. And that's the same way it works with training and coaching. You have to remember that the older a person gets, now I'm about to nerd out with you on psychology. The neuroplasticity, oh, really? the way that their brain yeah. ebbs and flows, it becomes harder. Like, so it is actually easier to train a younger child, a younger person than someone a little bit older. And what hap what are salespeople? Salespeople's 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. And so it is harder to retain and recall information. So they're not trying to not retain the information. They just can't. Like their brain just can't retain that information. Yeah, 100%. And again, you know, like, it's like, I know this may be a tangent, but you know, we work with sales teams in our sector and people go, oh, our sales team just not using CRM. I said, here's the first thing. Your sales team sell for a living and you haven't sold them on CRM. You know, so like, I mean, that's probably a whole subject for another day. But like, you know, I work with really big companies in Australia and New Zealand, really grateful to work for them. They go, we've just spent a shit ton of money on the CRM and it's a white elephant and it's not working and no one's using it. I said, well, what you're doing is there's no reward for the recording with any reporting. So, you know, they see it as big brother. And I said, you haven't sold them on CRM. So you haven't appointed CRM champions. You haven't seen how it's going to make the job. But it's a tangent. What I'm saying is that's related to what you're saying is that people don't want to be sold to, especially sales teams. So, you know, we want to serve them. You know, it's the same psychology is that we will have real resistance when someone is selling to us. If someone's serving to us, we very simply talk about a very simple thing, which I should make a T-shirt line out of. And that's a terrible dad joke. But it's like serve to sell. Mm -hmm. We serve to sell. So what's happening is everyone's got this hang up about sales and the first mind kind of trick, and it's nothing Jedi or Yoda-ish, is instead of selling, we serve. So when we serve the best interests of our clients rather than the best interests of ourselves, we'll make more sales. And when you do that, you make your client or your prospect feel safer. So they're more likely to open up, you adapt your line of questioning, you get into deeper reasons why they want to buy or not and qualify and magic happens. Conversions get quicker, sales cycles get shorter, cost to acquire gets lower. All these good things happen. Mm. 
That's like one of my, I call it Westling wisdom. It's serve, don't sell. And the concept that people don't get about that is if you sit in front of a prospect and they share that they're having a problem and you know your product does not help them or cannot help them achieve the goal that they need to achieve, you are doing sales malpractice by not recommending the solution that they need by not saying that, hey, you know what? I have a partner over here or I know this company that does this that will help you achieve your goal. And the thing is, if you do that, you have a customer for life. You've never sold them anything physically. They will come back to you again and again. And as a salesperson, when somebody comes back to you and asks you to help them with a problem that they know that you can't even solve, that's how you know you've become a trusted partner. And that's what we all need to be, trusted partners. 100%. This whole trusted partner, trusted advisor space is massive because I mean, I think it's like, you know, we, you have lots of guests in your show, like you've got to sell like a doctor. I actually think you've got to sell like a specialist. Now I know, you know, you're petrochemical and, you know, I do a lot in agri-science and crop science and we're not going to have a battle at Rap Jam on actives here because I haven't had enough green tea and I can't even talk properly at the moment. It's still <laughs> early, but we talk about, you know, you've got to sell like a doctor and diagnose and you know this, right? This is all just good, good reminders to your listeners. That Hippocratic oath, which is do no harm. So mm. people are much more comfortable because 47% of people fall into sales as a default accidental career choice and go, oh my God, I'm here in sales. It's like, hey, dude, it's all right. We'll do this. We're just going to focus on serving and showing sincere intent and a duty of care by asking really, really good questions. And that's going to make your buyer feel safe and that's going to make them buy more. And also, you're going to feel safe because you're going to feel the sense of worth and sense of self is actually you are of service. And the best way to serve them, like I say, if you can't serve them because you qualify on the right questions, you go and find someone who can and you play the longer game because we Hippocratic Oath, just like doctors, do no harm. Mm, I love that. Do no harm. Do no harm. Okay, so share with us a experience, a person, an event, something in your life, personally or professionally, that has impacted the way that you lead, that you show up today? That is a really good question. So I'm going to have to really desperately think about that. I think what I have understood, and it's probably the theme throughout what we've talked around in this episode, is I think what probably one of the best pieces of advice I got after a pattern of behavior was, Sinjin, you need to be more curious than you are critical. You need to be more curious than you are critical. So you need to have a curious mind and understand rather than taking offense, like why someone hasn't called you back or ghosted you, I'm talking obviously professionally, not personally here, why they haven't got back to you is don't take umbrage, don't take offense. I'm just trying to understand why. And you'll learn a lot more that way than being critical because obviously criticism closes doors, curiosity opens doors. Mm. So, you know, I'd love to understand what is it that, is the reason why we're not going to move forward with this today. What's happening for you? What is the resistance? What are some of the blocks or barriers? Could you help me understand that a bit more? That's a much more curious way than going, okay, sounds like this is an ideal. We're just going to flag it and we're just going to forget it and move away. So for me, curiosity versus criticism is a very, very important mindset to have in sales and in life because I've always been a lifelong learner. So, you know, being fascinated about the world makes it a much more interesting place to live in versus that criticism and that judgment and that kind of, you know, Carol Dweck kind of fixed mindset. It doesn't work. You don't grow, you stagnate, you go backwards. But instead, if you're continually learning, 
you're naturally curious about the world with your eyes wide open because you're asking really good questions. Like curious people ask really good questions, right? You're asking really good questions. This question alone is a really, really good, deep, curious question and it's got me thinking. And uh, yeah, I've tried to give you the best answer I can. That was a fantastic answer. I love it. I love it. Curiosity. I mean, in the criticism, because whether it's in a lot of times that external criticism or criticizing other people comes from the internal criticism that we have of ourselves, right? Yeah. And so we're I'm so resolved. critical. Unresolved. Unresolved exactly. criticism. This is psychology 101. It's projection. So when you have an unresolved pain or problem, you are going to project it to absolve yourself of carrying that pain. And that's just projection 101. Mm, that's so good. Oh my gosh, Sinjin, this has been a fantastic time. I know you have a few goodies that you want to share with the audience. What do you have? Sure. No, would love to help. And thank you so much for having me on the show. Loved our chat. Obviously, I only deal in rural and agribusiness. That's my specialism. However, I've written a book on how to master sales psychology and the secrets of psychology every rural rep needs to know. So I've got an ebook for you. The URL, uh, Wesley and her team, I'm sure, will put it in the show notes. It's ruralsalessuccess.com. And in there, there's goodies. You can download the book for free. It's about 20 bucks on Amazon, but you download the ebook for free for your listeners. You can connect with me on LinkedIn, which you'll put in the show notes. If you want to find out more, I write articles. I've got emails, podcasts, all the rest of it. We're begging to get very busy Westland on our show here in New Zealand. I'm looking forward to having a chat with you. So yeah, the ebook's there. It's packed with like, if you're interested in psychology as a superpower, as a sales superpower, there's a ton of principles in there. I've made it super practical. It's like a little manual. It's about 90 pages. And I think anyone, regardless whether you're selling in FMCG, bio, medicine, pharma, or rural, they're still very much applicable. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I love to read. I am a lifelong learner and I love this different angle that you're coming from because a lot of people are, are so surface level like, oh, this is how you make phone calls. This is how you write an email. But we have to peel back the layer and think about the psychology, right? The psychology of sales and the psychology of human behavior to make ourselves better, to understand our customers. And in turn, what does that do? It helps us make more money and it helps us become better salespeople and sales leaders. And 100%, and I was just going to say the last thing around that, it's so important that we become more human in the way that we sell. So this is why I'm saying psychology is a sales superpower, because if you don't understand, you know, particularly in rural, they buy from people. This is a strength and weakness of the business because you have a risk of the rep holding that business to ransom because they buy into that salesperson so much. So relationships are everything. So if you want that advantage like your listeners want and listen to really good podcasts like this and the great content that you put out, Westland, is, you know, get really curious about human behavior and the laws of human nature and understand and study basic psychology if you want that competitive advantage. Because here's the thing, as they get worse, that's the majority of salespeople, we have to become better. Mm, that's good as they get worse we have to become better and i think that is a great final word for this fantastic episode this has been amazing 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 <laughs> amazing sinjin thank you so much for sharing your time your talent your expertise and all of this knowledge that you have i know you're focused on rural sales but the tips and the bits and pieces you've given us today are applicable across the world of sales yeah, 100%. You know, I love your podcast, love your infectious energy, Westland, and what you're doing for your team and your listeners. So it's a joy to talk to you. Thank you so much. And that was another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Remember, in all that you do every day, be sure to transform your sales. Until next time.